This is blank punk. Hi, happy holidays. Uh, we celebrate Hanukkah here, so happy Hanukkah, Chag Sameach, and uh, Merry Christmas also. It is Christmas on the day we're recording this, and happy Kwanzaa, because that will be, it'll be Kwanzaa when this comes out. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's very appropriate that we're recording the Myth Punk episode on Christmas, because Christmas feels very Myth Punk to me. And, yeah. Yeah. Now... I have a, <laughs> I have a lot of opinions, if you know, if you listen to our last episode, which was also our first episode, I have a lot of uh, very strong opinions about what steampunk is and the definition of steampunk. Mythpunk, I feel like, is much more uh, hard, it's harder to define. More ambiguous. Yeah, it's ambiguous because there are a lot of genres that... You know, you could say, well, is it myth punk or is it fantasy? Is it myth punk or is it, you know, urban fantasy? Um, so basically, a lot of these punk genres, particularly, I think, uh, steampunk, diesel punk, clock punk, are kinds of sci fi or kinds of science fiction that are set in sort of an alternate past. But myth punk is more, uh, instead of a, an alternate technology, instead of an alternate technological history, it's uh, magic being real or certain fairy tale elements being real. Um, and so I guess I, I do wonder, like, is there a dividing line between myth punk and just straight up fantasy? Um. Well, I don't know what's... <laughs> well, according... <coughs> um, I'm a little under the weather. Luckily, I have a magic potion, by which I mean herbal tea. You're Ooh. such a nerd. Yeah. So, according to the Punkettes, uh, they had some examples of myth punk, and among those were Stardust, the book by Neil Gaiman, which was also made into a movie, um, and The Magicians... Uh, I'm a big fan of Neil Gaiman. Stardust is not my favorite of his books, but I, I liked it. Uh, and The Magicians is actually, I think, probably my favorite fictional book series. Um, but they're very different in a lot of ways. And sail, uh, Stardust, Stardust actually feels to me like of like if I wanted to say this is the perfect example of myth punk, I would probably point to Stardust. Really? Yeah, because so um the thing about Stardust is that it's it feels like a fairy tale or like an amalgamation of fairy tales in a way that felt very conscious. It was like like the language in the book, the narration feels very fairy tale like uh, the character is very fairy tale like, and um, you know the magicians draws very much on Harry Potter in the first book and Narnia generally, and we'll talk about those uh, definitely. But uh, but Stardust is very much from fairy tales, from like you know European folklore, um, and I think if we're gonna say myth punk, then that. You know, it's not just magic, it's fairy tales. So, like, um, 
I think a lot of fantasy and urban fantasy that draws more on like, you know, like, okay, vampires are, for instance, like vampires are a folk legend, but the idea that we have of vampires now is not from folk tales. It's from Dracula and movies and specific, you know, works of literature and film. So, you know, so I don't think, like, a vampire story is myth-punk. You see, and this is something I'm, as I do about outer years, I've been, I'm big into the Dresden Files, and I think that is the perfect example of myth-punk just based on what you tell me. And even what you just said now, because, like, in it, one of the major players is Queen Mab of the fairies, and she is, in fact, the Queen Mab who inspired Shakespeare and... All kinds of other legends and fairy tales throughout our history. I think, to me, Dresden Files feels, and this might be totally arbitrary, to me, Dresden Files feels more like a perfect example of urban fantasy because, you know, yes, Queen Map appears in it, but Dresden Files is set in Chicago and mm-hmm. it's rooted in the real world and it's got a lot of gritty, nitty detail and it's also based on, in a lot of ways, based on noir. Uh, on the noir genre and so to me it doesn't even though you have these characters out of myth and these these you know ideas out of myth it feels much more uh it doesn't feel like a fairy tale in the way that stardust feels like i mean he does travel into the land of fairy a lot oh yeah no but like the tone of it is noir like if you take out the content and you're looking at just the form and the style it's noir and Stardust, regardless of the content, the form and the style of it is fairy tale. And so I, but, but, you know, like I said, the magicians, punkettes also put out magicians as an example of myth punk. So. Yeah, because the magician seems more like it's in the world of, in the kind of part of the Venn diagram that Dresden Files occupies. Yeah, and it's different. It's not, um,. It's not urban fantasy in the way that Dresden Files is. And I, I'm going to spend forever talking about The Magicians because I love The Magicians. And but I'm going to talk about Dresden Files because <laughs> I like, love Dresden Files. And, you know, and I like Dresden Files a lot, too. Um, but I think, you know, and, I, and I'm not going to say Dresden Files isn't a good example of myth-punk, but to me, Stardust would be kind of the ur-example because it's, it is about style and it is not just, it's not just about content. It's about the style and the form. Just like, you know, I think if we go back to steampunk, a lot of steampunk work sort of tries to imitate Victorian writing style. And, um, you know, like a lot of times when uh, people, you know, are titling something. They'll give it a very like long, floral, Victorian-sounding title, and um, and I think that you know, style is important. And so, to me, the the quintessential myth punk would be something that stylistically resembles a fairy tale in some See, way. Yeah. Now, based on my understanding of various punks and from what we've talked about earlier, it it had seemed to me as though you were saying that. Things where it's like you open a magic wardrobe and go into another world are not myth punk. And it seems like Stardust and the Magicians are that. Well, Stardust is set in fairy, but the ordinary world that the main character 
uh, I want to say Tristan. It's Tristan. been a while. Tristan. The ordinary world that Tristan comes out of is not our world. You know, whereas the magicians and Dresden Files, that's our world that it's rooted in. And then they go to another world. Or even Narnia, you know, it's 1940s Britain, but it was written, you know, around that time. And so it was, you know, the modern world. Whereas Stardust was Neil Gaiman writing in... It might have been written in the 90s, but, you know, late 20th or early 21st century about this sort of, I guess it was supposed to be, like, early 19th century. It felt it felt pre-industrial revolution, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. So Stardust, you know, isn't a young man coming from the same world the writer lives in and going into fairy. It's a young man living... And, and actually, the fact that I had trouble placing the time of the of, of his ordinary world is part of the point because if Neil Gaiman had been like like okay I wanted well, at I some think point it was the time when people wore bowler hats on a regular basis well that was the movie no, I, I think in the did book they mention bowler, bowler hats maybe I feel like I feel like it wasn't super specific though and I was actually going to bring up at some point I want to bring up Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell um because I think we're both like part way through, like halfway well, through. The, oh, you finished the book. Okay, yeah. I'm very slowly reading the book. Um, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell is set in a very, very specific historical period, and it's alternate history, but it's really specific, and it talks about specific events yeah, in well, the Napoleon. In yeah, and like the Napoleonic Wars and specific cultural things, and like it, it's. It's very, very specifically rooted in a time and place. Whereas Stardust, you know, it's it, it feels more. Um, I don't want to say general, but it doesn't feel as just general ye olde villagey. <laughs> I mean, a little. I, I don't know. That seems reductive, but it, it's not. Uh, it's not rooted in as his specific a historical time and or place. And I think that's intentional, and that's part of, you know, because... Is that it, important to it being myth-punk? I don't know that it's important to being myth-punk, but I think that it's, uh, you know, if you look at fairy tales, if you look at, like, Grimm's fairy tales or anything, it'll be like, you know, there was, at one point in time, somewhere, a girl or a boy mm-hmm. or whatever, and, and it's never like, you know, in this particular region of Alsace... Alsace? Yeah, Alsace or Alsace-Lorraine uh, Alsace or Lorraine. In the, yeah, in, in this particular reason of Alsace-Lorraine in 1812, you know, it never it never says that in a fairy tale. It's because it's supposed to be sort of timeless. And actually, uh, you know, one thing that Perrault, the French writer who kind of popularized a lot of fairy tales and gave us the version of Cinderella that Disney's Cinderella is based on, uh, Perrault really changed fairy tales by saying things like i think in his sleeping beauty it was like oh her dress had this collar on it that she had this stiff collar on her dress that was very old-fashioned and looked like something your grandmother might have worn and like that's not something that you would see in an actual Mm. folktale now the course in the disney cinderella (coughs) it's pretty hard to pin down the time as well (laughs) well that's just weird that's just disney weirdness which is a whole a whole nother can of worms um but I, i do think you know the punk here is important because it's it's punk it's not just punk well the punk i think it doesn't necessarily mean like you know 
Sex Pistols type punk. No, I it's mean, just it's different. It's you, you're turning something a little on its head, and that's the difference between like, for instance, steampunk and something that's just straight up like set in the Victorian period. And the same thing with myth punk is that if you're just trying to create a fairy tale that somebody could read and think maybe it was you know a folk tale from 800 years ago, that's not myth punk. Um, and I think maybe, like, the Sky Pirates in Stardust are a punky aspect. I don't know. Uh, I don't remember. I, See, it's been everything a you're telling me is convincing me more and more that Dresden Files is myth punk. Maybe it is. Maybe it, yeah. I think Dresden Files... I think what's what's catching me up about Dresden Files, what's, what I'm sort of hung up is on... Is that it's set in very obvious modern-day Chicago? It's not that, actually. It's not that, because I think, you know, uh, The Magicians is set very obviously in modern-day New York and various other places, but I think it's actually... What's hanging me up is that Dresden Files is noir. It. I don't see why that... Is a limiting factor. I don't think it's a limiting factor, but I think it belongs. Uh, the and I'm not saying it's not myth punk. I think it it is myth punk, but it's the reason that I'm not thinking of it as like the er example is that it's if you want to say something is the er example, I it needs more of the fairy tale feel than the noir feel. Well, I think the. The noir feel is just something that is unique to... Well, not unique. I mean, there are other things that do that. And Neil Gaiman actually wrote a a noir story with Humpty Dumpty, which was really funny. But but I think that that it belongs so specifically to this other genre. Like, I wouldn't want to... You know? Mm. Yeah. Not really, but... Like, like, if you're saying what's the er example of country music, you wouldn't pick a country song that has like a rap verse in it just because then if if some if you're trying to explain country to somebody who's never heard country before and you give them a song that has like a rap verse in it and then they think oh so all country music has this rap verse in it you know what i'm saying it's like if it has an element that is like i'm not saying like that wouldn't make it a country song but it's like if it has an element that's well, then is Not Harry Potter essential. myth punk? I, yeah, I don't know. Because so I'd Har- say it's definitely not, frankly. So, oh, okay, interesting. Okay, so why is Harry Potter definitely not myth um, punk? I don't know, it's just kind of a feeling about it, because it's just... I feel like there has to be a real clear intersection between... With any kind of punk, there has to be a clear intersection between, like the myth or the steam or the whatever and the real world as we know it where the two affect each other and the fact is in harry potter they're just so completely separated that uh and i've said this before it's almost like adult wizards are challenged when it comes to uh technology whereas in like dresden file or the magicians or uh stardust even they can utilize modern technology and recognize it and, you know, use it to enhance what they're doing or use magic to enhance the modern technology. Yeah, I definitely see what you're talking about. And I think, like, that, you know, the... the inter- or if not, there's a very good reason. Yeah. But, yeah, I think that that intersection 
the intersection and the two worlds affecting each other is important. Yeah. And that, and, and it's also like, I think the idea is if you start every concept with a what if question, steampunk is what if the Victorians had really advanced technology, but it was made with, you know, Victorian technology. Um, and then the myth punk would be very simply what if fairy tales were real and Harry Potter, J.K. Rowling, actually, like, it's nominally set in the real world, because, like, there's London and stuff, but, but J.K. Rowling, like, built up this entire, you know, really detailed... Walled-off world. Well, not just walled-off, but, like, also just very detailed. Like, she invented, like, the, I think that before Harry Potter, I mean, obviously the idea of, of like, which and wizard being gendered terms uh you know predates harry potter but i feel like before i mean and i don't know i was like 12 when i first read harry potter so it's hard to remember but i feel like before i read harry potter the idea of a male witch would be like a male witch or maybe a warlock and then i got told by a male witch that that was offensive i did want to say actually like briefly that Myth punk, like, I want to separate out this discussion. All, all of what we're talking about is pretend. Um, and that anything in terms of, like, real magic, magic that people believe in and are intending. Magic with a K. <laughs> right. Like, uh, if you want to hear about that, last podcast on the left uh, has a really good handful of episodes about that. Uh, but this is not, I'm not talking about, like, any magic that anybody would do in the real world. This is all play, um, and fiction. So, uh, but yeah, I think, I think that, uh, you know, J.K. Rowling invented this really specific world that goes way, way, way beyond just what if magic were real or what if fairy tales were you know they're you know what if these because she like all these magical creatures that she invented and all this this culture that she invented like she drew on folklore but a lot of it is really her own invention so i would say harry potter is much more fantasy uh not even urban fantasy but just straight up fantasy because like any you know like any fantasy author, she built up a world and she invented all these rules and all this yeah. and this culture. So yeah, Harry Potter, I would agree. Yeah, now, whereas Dresden, Dresden Files, he actually runs into the three Billy Goats gruff. <laughs> yeah. Now, the magicians, and again, I love the magicians, mm -hmm. and I had um, before, like, I read about you know before I read the Punkettes uh, entry on Myth Punk. I was like, I feel like The Magicians is something. I feel like it's, um, I feel like it's blank punk. Uh, but I didn't know what to call that. I was like, mm -hmm. witch punk, sorcery punk. Um, See, I almost feel like anything where it's like you can discover you're some special person who has access to this world that nobody who's not special can get to kind of ruins it a little. Yeah. As far as the myth punk goes. Well, and here, and actually, what I find, I think my favorite part of of the magicians is the hedge witches. So, uh, 
I guess, like, I'm going to say right now that if you're not familiar with The Magicians, I guess it's kind of a minor spoiler. It's kind of a spoiler. But essentially, there are um, people in the world of The Magicians called hedge witches who are self-taught witches. And, um, you know, the main character, Quentin, goes to a magical school that's break bills which is sort of like hogwarts only it's a college or in the case of the tv show it's a grad school um and it's you know they're all young adults instead of being 11 year olds (laughs) and um uh you know and he's going and has strict professors who put him through the paces and he has to do all these exercises and read lots of big books and all that um whereas his friend julia does not get into break bills and she just goes off and learns magic sort of on her own and from all these people who are just sort of, uh, sort of, you know, getting Groping. it. Yeah, getting it wherever they can. And for me, um, like, if I'm going to be totally honest, I'm much more of a Quentin than a Julia. <laughs> like, but, uh, but I always loved Julia because of, of that and was really interested by the Hedge Witches because like I'm a you know I'm a front end developer who didn't you know I don't have a computer science degree and um and I learned you know I learned coding by like you know picking up bits and pieces wherever I could and and so a lot of the uh a lot of the description the books of the hedge witches and and like Julia's casting style and how it's all crazy and you know she just, you know, does this and that that she picked up here and there. Um, I, I really was drawn to. Um, I think, you know, the the specialness, it's, I find it annoying, generally speaking. Like the, you are, you're called, you're the one true such and such or anything like that. Or some giant coming to you on your birthday <laughs> revealing your but, destiny to you. But it is, I mean, but it's a trope. It's a it's a trope, and I don't think we can out of hand dismiss anything that utilizes that trope. Yeah, um, it's a good way to get the story going. Yeah. So, and I, and I think the other thing that's like the I don't know. It's very cynical in a lot of ways. So the first I read the first magician's book years and years and years ago and I knew there were two others but I never got around to reading them until like a year ago and they're very different and I really really liked especially the second one um the first one the I like it a lot but the pacing is a little weird and it's very cynical and very depressing in a lot of ways and in it's like the it's you know it's a not a super long book it's like maybe 300 something 400 something pages and it's like half of the book encompasses plot-wise what like the entire Harry Potter series does. And that's like half of the first book. So it it ru- it it rushes through that in a lot of ways and it and it starts out being very drawn from Harry Potter, but then the rest of it is much more uh kind of a riff on Narnia? I want to say a riff. It's not a response the way, like... I think, like, this... A lot of the first book and some of the second is Narnia, for sure. And a lot of the setting definitely is. But the storyline is... 
And the storyline becomes the storyline becomes its own thing. Yeah, towards the end. The storyline. Yeah, the storyline becomes its own thing. Um, so I actually want to talk a little more about the TV series because I, I love the books and they're great. The TV series is interesting. Uh, it's flawed, but I just like can't get. It. I never rewatch stuff. Like I I watch things once and I don't rewatch movies or tv shows or anything but the magicians i we downloaded it on from amazon and i watched it like the whole series like three or four times it was like comfort food to me and i um it's really beautiful um the costumes and the settings and the camera work and like visually it's so beautiful and i you know and it sounds shallow or whatever but i feel like a lot of this is aesthetic i definitely like the penny in the tv show better than the penny in the books yeah well the funny thing is i think you pointed out that the tv show kind of swapped the personalities of penny and quentin mm-hmm. because in the books quentin is kind of like this angry jerk who lashes out at people and penny is this like very very earnest geek who just wants to tell everybody everything and the tv shows like quentin is this like really excited earnest geek who wants to tell everybody stuff and penny is just an angry jerk who lashes out but he's so cool Mm -hmm. (laughs) he's so cool um and he has lots of awesome scarves and vests and i saw the best comment on reddit uh that they were pointing out that Penny like never has sleeves, even when they're in a very cold place and everybody's all bundled up. Um, he's not wearing sleeves, and the person said, "Did sleeves killed your family, Penny? <laughs> Did sleeves killed your family?" <laughs> it was like the best thing ever. So, uh, yeah. I don't know if I have anything intelligent to say ab- about it because I just like it all so much. But I feel like it's that that mm, I'm so mindless about it, but just that aesthetic yumminess. (laughs) It's like, I don't know, to me that's so much of what's fun about all these uh, subgenres is the aesthetics. I mean, and you know what? I'm not going to apologize for that. I'm going to say it's shallow or whatever because beauty is important. Aesthetics are important. Design is important. And it communicates something. And it's not always something that it's easy to translate verbally. I say on an entirely verbal medium. Yeah. Uh-huh. Now, if you're going to talk about aesthetics, <coughs> have you ever, you've never gotten into like Mercedes Lackey, uh, the series she did with El- that's a lot of, that's with elves in the modern world. No, but I think you, you can talk about it. Uh, uh, well, basically, it's set in the 80s, maybe early 90s, because that's when she wrote it. Uh, and there are elves in the modern world, as I said, and uh, she gets a lot into like their armor and swords and stuff because uh, they because in they're elves, so they can't touch steel, so there obviously has to be a solution to that where they kind of make it out of solid out of magical materials, and as such, it can be whatever colors, whatever designs they want. And so you get into a lot of, like, descriptions of very pretty armor and things. Oh, yeah. The toys. Like, this is what I think draws me so much to Mythpunk in some ways is, like, honestly, just the toys. Because, so, like, again, you know, we're always going to go back to Steampunk because I think Steampunk is kind of, like, the big cheese of these. But Steampunk, 
to me, like, you know, you see some really cool steampunk props, but, like, costuming is a really big part of steampunk. You have to have the look right. Mythpunk, you know, there are any number of different, you know, clothing choices that could be mythpunk, but the, you know, having sort of magical accoutrement is... Like and, and, and wizard staff or right, and I think for me also because like you know, and it goes back to you know I have I have this thing about wanting to have tactile things that I'm using with my hands because uh, I do a job that's like you know very e- ephemeral and um, you know working with digital information and working on a computer screen and so having like a bowl full of herbs that you're burning or a bag full of like mar- special marbles or you know uh, cards I mean and I like I have to be careful with that because uh it's it's kind of embarrassing because I like to think of myself as like a very logical person and I don't believe I like to think of you know that that I'm uh not immune to magical thinking nobody's immune to that but that I I don't I'm not superstitious, but I get in a weird headspace if I play with cards, like if I do any sort of divination type thing, even if I'm just like, oh, it's just for fun, but I get in a weird headspace and it makes me like really anxious, so. You gotta watch out for that. I had a girl break up with me over a tarot card reading, so. Well, I mean, like, (laughs) I don't. Even though she said she doesn't really believe in tarot cards. Well, it's just, it can, it can mess with your head, like. I don't know, maybe I'm I'm just a mushy-brained person, but it's like, even if I don't believe in it, it's like, I still see, like, the nine of spades turn up, and I'm like, <gasps> you know? <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so I, I don't like playing with cards, but, you know, but I love looking at, like, a beautiful tarot deck, and I love um, looking at, like, and it's like, it feels weird and kind of, like, appropriative in some ways, because, and you do have to be careful with that, because there are... Like, there are lines where you have to draw with, you know, again, if you're looking at one of the more sci-fi related genres, you're playing with technology that doesn't exist. If you're looking at myth punk, it's magic that doesn't exist, but it's, but it's much more like, you know, obviously a steam powered rocket ship or a clockwork ray gun are not real. But if you're, you know, you don't want to do something in your play that's appropriating somebody's, like, religious practices that they take, because that's gross and, and disrespectful. So, um, so I think that, like, and uh, definitely listen, if you're at all interested in this, go listen to last podcast on the left's episodes on, uh, especially on chaos magic, uh, you should definitely, I think, listen to their episodes on the right-hand path and the left-hand path as primers, but their episodes on, they have two episodes on chaos magic that are really interesting. And what's it, I, I said, like, setting aside, but I think you have to talk about it a little. Chaos magic is interesting to me in that, and again, I don't believe in this as a literal thing. Please don't hex me. <laughs> I don't believe in it, but please don't hex me. Uh, but, you know, but I think it's a very useful um, way to set your intention. If if you have a brain that works in that particular way, where symbolism and ritual are very useful to you, and say like you're a writer and you're like, well, I want to get published in this particular magazine, and you 
whatever you need to psych yourself up or make your make sure you you're in the right headspace so you do that you do a little ritual or something but then you actually have to send in writing to that magazine like you can't just sit back and hope it you know uh so so i think but, but what i think is interesting about chaos magic is that you're creating your own rituals and it's very it's not just like willy-nilly like there's a lot to it but if we're stepping back and saying okay now we're not talking about anything in the real world or anything anybody takes seriously at all we're talking about play and fiction and essentially playing games because we're grown-ups but we still need to play games and that's what this is about um then you know making making stuff up that you know you find fun and aesthetically pleasing and is not using somebody's religious practice in a disrespectful way you know but i like candles and stuff because you know they're they're tactile in a way that the work that i love but that i you know that i do all day is not is not tactile in that way and so i have a craving for that sort of um you know, for playing with props and things. Hi. Hello. I will say about, what, like, I was thinking, especially, like, gearing up for this episode, I was th- thinking about, like, making myself a wand for fun, like, for, like, because all you have to do is take a stick and, like, sand it and put some varnish on it or put some stain on it. But there is a line in The Magicians about how magic wands are sort of embarrassing and they're seen as, like, training wheels. And so now I'm, like, self-conscious about... <laughs> not that not that I wouldn't be self-conscious yeah, that's about... that's something that it has in common with... I feel like I'm a broken record, uh, Dresden Files. Because Dresden uses... He has a staff. He has a staff and he has several other magical folk... Foci? Foci? Folk, yeah, foci. Focuses. Okay. Focuses. Uh, focuses. Uh, and he's always talking about how if he was a more skilled magician or a more skilled wizard, he would not need them. Yeah. But that he doesn't have the experience or time to practice to, so that he doesn't need them. Yeah, I think... So, branching off two thoughts. One of the thought is, very generally, I feel like a lot of times in this sort of thing, and this might be part of what you'd call the punking, is that you'll have, like, what if fairy tales are real and blah, blah, blah. So, like, what if wizards are real and they have, you know, and they do spells and this and that. But there's always, like, one or two things. I think on TV tropes they call it, like, our vampires are different. Like, you know, in Twilight, we have vampires, but they sparkle in the sun instead of catching fire. And it's kind of like, you know, we have this stuff, but this one thing that you might think is a thing, like magic wands, aren't really a thing. Or, like, they're mm-hmm. stupid. You know, so it's like you always have to change a couple of things or you're not punking it. Um, and the other thought that branches off of that is that uh, in the book, the magic, in the the magicians, the books, the magic that they do is described as, like, really intricate hand motions. And um, and I think Poppers, which is, like, one of their, their sort of elementary spell books, is a reference to... Uh, an exercise book for cellists and that uh lev grossman intended for there to be a lot of parallels with like being a classical musician but on the tv show and it was really visually cool they actually um 
did tutting, finger tutting. And tutting is a kind of dance where you make geometrical shapes with your arms and your hands. But finger tutting is like much, obviously it's much more intricate and it's done with like just your fingers and your hands. Um, And they taught the actors to do that. It's very cool looking. And they did the same thing with Doctor Strange, I remember reading. And what was annoying to me is that nobody pointed out that the people who made the magicians had that idea to use tutting because they were like, oh, the director saw a guy doing this dance on YouTube and thought that was cool. And I'm sure that's true. I'm sure he didn't, like, steal it from the magicians because that kind of thing happens all the time and, you know, great minds think alike and all that. Now we're going to get sued by Marvel. (laughs) <laughs> no, but it was just like nobody pointed out that the magicians was doing that too. Like, come on. Uh, but yeah, I think the idea of like doing really intricate, because I, you know, I think a lot of depictions of people doing magic, if they're not using a wand or something, uh, they're going to use their hands and do little intricate motions, but specifically using that ge- geometric precision of, of finger tutting was very cool. Charmed. I, I, only, I saw, like, one or two episodes of Charmed. I have never watched any of Charmed, so I can't talk about it. Or okay. Supernatural, I think, but, would be another example. Okay. I Which, again, I haven't watched from much From my of. very... So I feel like there was a big spate. Ah, oh, we have to talk about Once. Once. To, the, once. The... Once and Grimm. Once and Grimm came Ten out... Ten Kingdoms. I didn't see Ten Kingdoms. But I feel like there was, like, a big spate of supernatural shows mm-hmm. for a while and then once and grim both came out about the same time and grim is really like grim is super duper i think myth punk in a very literal like it's these fairy tale creatures are real they're all german <laughs> they're they're like that like mm-hmm. it i watched like a season or two of this show so i i can't speak very uh yeah, whereas Informed. I haven't seen any of Once, except that from what I understand, it's just like the Disney world has somehow got superimposed over ours <laughs> It's something. very, it's weird. I'm not sure what, I th- there must be some kind of relationship to Disney what because... What I was thinking Once would be, would be uh, kind of a take, uh, adaptation of Fables, the comic books. Mm, yeah. Which I don't know if you've read. I'm familiar with fables, and I actually thought we should talk about those. I had like actually not even thought about Once or Grimm at all until like just now, and then it occurred to me that those are like super obvious. Yeah. Like, because Once, yeah, they're both like well, Once that big intersection. Yeah, Once like started like I think like. They started having some very Disney-specific characters come in later on, but... Yeah, I think they actually had Elsa, eventually. Yeah, yeah, They but but it started out being, like, the classic sort of fairy tales where you might go, maybe it's Disney, or maybe yeah. it's just... Because um, I don't think there's ever been a Disneyfication of uh, Rumpelstiltskin, and yet he's a major character in that's the That's true. Yeah, that's true. I think once bothered me for reasons that have nothing to do with, like, the you know, the genre or anything. It was, I, I was annoyed. I, I felt like, um, I felt let down that it wasn't fables. <laughs> yeah. I, I also just felt bothered by the way in which the, uh, Emma Swan, I keep thinking of her as the doctor from house, but, 
I think her name's M- Emma Swan, who's the main character, is the sort of private investigator, uh, who's the biological mother of this little boy, who's then adopted by the mayor of the town slash evil queen. Ooh, I think it's kind of a... Like, I've only seen a few episodes of him beginning, and I'm like, that little kid is a real jerk to his <laughs> step, to well, his adoptive mother well, who has loved him and taken care of him all his life. That's the thing. Like, that's what bothers me. It's not even the kid's behavior. Kids are kids, whatever. But, like, I felt like the show treated... I And maybe I'm totally wrong, but to me it felt like the show was implying that, you know, this woman who legally adopted the kid and raised him and loved him and was apparently a very... Ever since he was an infant. From an infant. and was a very known another mother. Right, and was a very good mother. That she's like, not his real mom because she adopted him. And that Emma, who is his biological mother, is in some way... Entitled. Entitled and or obligated. And it's really weird. And I think as somebody like who has adoption in my family, I felt particularly annoyed... Uh, at the implication that like an adoptive parent is not real and that biology somehow trumps like legality and quality of care um so yeah anyway so but I, I watched some of once and uh and I I did you know I think that's I guess very much like sort of and now there's something with like the kids it's like the kids of the villains there's a show with like the kids of the villains yeah, I don't know. and captain hook's son has a hook and i'm not sure if it's supposed to just be like a coincidence i haven't watched any of it apparently having only one <laughs> hand is hereditary uh, well i mean that could be i guess but like captain hook's isn't isn't genetic no it, got, it is not that it was, got it that was my joke it got it you killed my joke i'm Thank sorry you. i'm sorry uh yeah, I haven't really watched any once. I have watched a very small amount of Grimm and Supernatural. So, yeah, so Supernatural, I keep feeling like I want to watch and then I don't. But let me come back to Grimm again real quick because Grimm, I felt like, is sort of similar to Dresden Files in that you've got this guy who's, well, Dresden's not law enforcement. He's a PI, but... But he works with law enforcement. He works with law enforcement. And the guy in Grimm is law enforcement and he's um um but he's you know the guy in Graham you know he does have that like inherited you're the chosen one yeah. thing going on but it's like definitely exactly a, what it's a definitely a craptastic you're the chosen yeah. one speaking of coming back to chosen one I think that's why I like Dresden Files and those Mercedes Lackey books and anything where it's myth punk where people are capable of just kind of stumbling into it or discovering it if they see something weird yeah because i think part of the fun and part of the fantasy and especially if you're going to branch this out into a subculture not just talking about fiction or tv but if you're you know you want to believe that it could be you or that anybody Mm -hmm. could be part of this and if you're going to say if you're not one of these special chosen people yeah that's a big part of why i like games like fallout and skyrim as opposed to uh, other games where you can't create the character. You don't have any control over the creation. You are just this pre-existing chosen hero. Well, you like to make it look like you. <laughs> well, there's that. But no, I just can't get into them if I can't like be like, okay, I could be that guy. I have to say real quick, and we're going to talk about this more when we do an Adam Punk episode, but he... Uh, he made his character in Fallout look just like him, and then there's the wife. 
Oh, is this a spoiler? Should I not say this? No, it's not a spoiler. It's not, okay. It in the first ten minutes. All right. So there's the wife, and I was like, oh, make the wife look just like me. That would be fun. And he did. He made it look just like me. And then within the first... And this was when our son was like four months old that he was playing this. And within the first ten minutes of the game, I see this figure who looks just like me get shot in the head and have her infant ripped from her arms. And I was like, oh, <laughs> okay. Uh... But yeah, like, I think, um, you know, like, with, if you're gonna do, like, steampunk or cyberpunk, there's no, like, special chosen one. And this is, like, a difference, I think, between fantasy and sci-fi generally, but, like, there's no, or in any sci-fi genre or any, like, tech-based punk genre, there's no, like, oh, you're not one of the special chosen ones, so you can't invent a flying machine. Like, no, if you've got the, the smarts and the grit and the you know, elbow grace, you can invent a flying machine or you can plug into the, uh, you know, plug into cyberspace and, you know, do whatever. And if not learn magic, join kind of a not, kind of an underground that is aware of it. Right. So, yeah, so I think that, and I, yeah, so I think that one thing that separates maybe myth punk from fantasy is we can say that myth punk has to have some kind of an in for anybody not everybody necessarily but anybody and that that's what i will say is with magicians it's like yeah it's not like with harry potter you're either magical or you're not period like you yeah. can either do magic or you're not and if they're and if you're not they do their very best to keep you out of it. right yeah whereas with the magicians um you you know like there are the people who have definite magical ability and they get sent to the magical school and all that but you know you have like the hedge witches who you know are not going to get very far generally but they can and sometimes they do and that's a big difference and and also the secrecy is like it's you don't have like a magical you know you don't have there's like a some kind of magical council that never really does anything or shows up. But there's no ministry of magic working so hard to make sure the normies never, like, find out. It's just this, like, obviously, yeah, you're not going to, like, go do magic in front of a bunch of people who mm-hmm. don't know about it and freak them out. So. Yeah. Like, in Dresden Files, there's, you know, there is a secret order of people who try to keep it from happen- keep it from getting out just because they don't want to deal with you know, normal people doing their very best to eradicate all magical people. Uh, but ultimately, they don't work very hard because people just simply rationalize magical events away. <laughs> yeah, I mean, or, and I think actually, like, on a, maybe it was like the last or next last episode of um, My Favorite Murder that I listened to, um, they were saying about ghosts, like, you know, that some people say, like, ghosts are real but you know they're they're all over the place but you don't see them because if your brain can't understand and this is a real did you learn about it yeah in psychology what's what's uh change blindness if there's something that just shouldn't be there there's a good chance that you won't even notice it like the gorilla walking through a group of people dribbling basketballs yeah do you want to like just all right well change blindness is this idea that when there's something new that you that enters into your field of perception that you don't expect to be there and 
probably shouldn't be there as far as you would be aware uh, as far as you would think of it there's a good chance you won't even notice it your brain will just write it out of the scene the most and one of the famous examples of this is this tet thing on you can find it on youtube uh if you look up basketball gorilla probably uh where there's this group of you know, people one in black shirts one in white shirts passing a basketball back and forth and you are told to count the number of times they pass the basketball and at the end they're like okay how many people how many times did you did they pass the ball did you notice that one person in a white shirt left and one person in a black shirt entered and they're like oh no i didn't notice that and then they're like did you notice the gorilla walk through the room and did if you watch it again, you can see a guy in a gorilla suit walk into the middle of the group of people, stand there for almost the entire duration of the video waving at you, and then walk out. But you just didn't notice him. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, a lot of stories that have magic in them utilize that and say, like, you know, people don't... I, I mean, actually, going back to Neil Gaiman, Neverwhere and London Below... Which is really kind of its own thing, so I don't know that I'd call it myth punk. Yeah. But but London Below operates on that idea that like people just don't notice it because they're not expecting it. Yeah. Or now, in the Discworld, that's the entire principle behind why people don't see things like death walking around. Like the anthropomorphic personification of death walking around. Right. Now, question. Is there a known... Is, is there like a, a book series or a TV show or anything where... It's where magic is as ordinary a part of the world as technology, and it's not secret, and everybody knows about it. Yes, but it's not like set in. It's not like set in another universe. It's like set in our world. Yes. What is that? Um. Shit, I can't remember the name of it. It's I think it's by Janet Ivanovich. Uh, it's about a witch, and there are witches and stuff all over the place as well as vampires and other things, and they're just common, everyday thing. There's this, and in this, she was a member of a special police force that's meant to uh, control that. And it's just part of the world that they have adjusted to having. Huh. Kind of like um, in True Blood, like how vampires came out, and so now yeah, everybody's just like, oh yeah, vampire, like you're a vampire. You, okay. Yeah. And then there's also uh, the, the series... Uh, that I just read about necro about the, the main character is a necromancer, uh, and the basic premise is interesting, kind of stupid, but interesting. Where the magnetic polarity of the Earth was reversed, and so magic has come back into the world and they've got an entire underground kind of government and things for dealing with that and it's uh it's interesting a little simplistic sometimes and again and that magical polarity thing didn't make any sense but they but you know magic is now an everyday thing in that world and has even been integrated into their technology bitcoins is the primary uh primary currency for the magical black market. The other series of The Witch was by Kim Harrison, and it was... Well, it starts out with this book, Dead Witch Walking. Cool. Good. Um, 
Well, I was I, I was gonna say actually also that Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell falls into that category, and I didn't think of it at first because oh, yeah. like it's you know again set in uh, a different time period. Speaking of that, uh, since we're talking about Napoleonic magic things, there's the uh, the dragon books. God, I'm so bad at remembering titles. Uh, it's a series where they have where they have dragons that they ride like in like in Dragon Riders of Pern. Uh, but but Napoleon. Yeah, it takes place during the Napoleonic era, and they have dragons that they they use kind of like the same as they would use the navy. It feels like a Weevil and Bob song, Napoleon riding a dragon. Napoleon doesn't ride a dragon. Napoleon he wants one. riding a and actually, dragon. actually, that is the... He's really short, but he can fly so high. Kind... That's actually funny that you say that, because the main plot point is that a an admiral in the British Navy intercepts a shipment that has a dragon egg, which hatches, and it's this very rare imperial dragon, and it had been intended for Napoleon's use. Aww. But he end, but the British admiral ends up uh, bonding with it, and so Aww. he has to join the uh, Dragon Corps or whatever. Aww. Basically, it's an air for a uh, Napoleonic era air force with dr- made up of dragons instead of planes. That's cool. Um, well, I've just been going to say before we move on to Jonathan Strange and Mister Norrell that I keep attempting to write a. A story where um, magic exists in our world basically the way that, like, as kind of a metaphor for, uh, uh, for the way like web technologies that we have are. Um, but the metaphor kept getting clumsy, and I didn't. Yeah, my plot was weird, so that didn't happen but I had this idea that like wizards are like front end developers and they do like illusions and just affect how things look and then uh-huh. sorcerers like are more like back end and they can uh, and they can you know get in and affect like the behavior and the atomic nature of things and then witches are data scientists essentially because they handle the, the grammar books the glamour books um, way to self promote I'm not self-promoting because I don't have anything to promote. I'm just, like, explaining my idea that didn't ever turn into anything. The dragon thing I was just talking about is the Temeraire series. How do you spell Temeraire? Um, I'll link to it. it. T-E-M-E-R-A-I-R-E. Okay. Uh, So, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell is interesting because I guess you'd call it alternate history in a way, too. Yeah, I mean, it's the exact same history, but with magic. Right. Well, the idea in Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell is that Britain was very magical. And it's not clear. It's like, I'm halfway through the book, and I wasn't clear from the TV series whether any other countries other than England had magic. No, not really. It really just seemed like old, like England is special for some reason, and England has a relationship with fairies, and I mean, I could tell you, but it would does. kind of be a spoiler, because I've finished the book. Okay, well, don't say a spoiler. Okay. Like, just for the audience's sake. You know, our massive listening audience. Yes. Uh, so... That one's weird, because ultimate, because they have this entire alternate history... Like medieval history mm-hmm. and yeah, history mid- and everything, but 
but then everything turns out everything, the same. Yeah, it turns out the same. Because the medieval history, yeah, instead of like the tutors and everything, they had this like weird stuff going on where there was this like magical, this powerful magical king, the Raven King, who basically split up the country and he had a stronghold in the north. And then uh, in like fifth, the late 1600s or something, or the late 16th century, magic went out of england and the raven king left and it was not magical and then all and then and from england reunited and that and from that point forward english history just pretty much went as it actually did to the point that in 1812 they're like you know going through the the same wars yeah, that they Napoleonic, were in there's the napoleon right there in the napoleon war the culture is exactly the same and then yeah. Uh, because of these two men who can do magic and nobody else can, but these two men show up doing magic and magic becomes a thing again. Yeah. It's, um, it's the ult- it's like, it gets up as a Napoleon War, but Britain is losing badly, which they didn't do well at the beginning of the war. But thanks to these two magicians who show up all of a sudden, they start winning and they win all the major historical battles that Britain did win, but thanks to magic rather than military prowess. Right. And, you know, and I think it's it's not quite commonplace in the world of Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell because at the time of the book, it's only being done by these two people and nobody else does magic. And so it's not like, for instance, like computers are where tons and tons and tons of people work with computers, but it exists. Yeah, so I don't nobody know, doubts I don't its know existence. If, I They're just surprised that it's happening. Right. I don't know if there would be like a straight parallel with any technology that's no. like, yeah, I don't know, maybe like nuclear energy or something because it's like it's not like you have a bunch of people running around utilizing nuclear energy but we but it does get used and has really big effects and we're all aware of it so maybe that would be like the only kind of parallel but i don't think that's an intentional thing yeah um and i think jonathan strange and mr norrell is not myth punk because again if we're talking about like the idea of expanding it out into a, a subculture it's it's if you were the, cosplaying jonathan strange and mr norrell you'd just be dressing up as a british dandy who well, is studying magic but can't actually cast spells. yeah i think there's there's <laughs> not there are not like one thing that's interesting to me about harry potter and i and i think for the reasons we said previously harry potter is not myth punk but something that's interesting to me about harry potter is that the world that J.K. Rowling built is not dependent on the main characters of the plot because it's so rich. And so I think a big part of why the Harry Potter fandom persists is that you could like just make up a person in that world to be and be recognizably a person in the Harry Potter universe without any canonical connection because that's how detailed she built the world. And I just remember seeing something on Facebook or something where somebody was like, oh, there needs to be a Princess Bride-themed restaurant. And basically their idea was just that the waiters would say lines from Princess Bride all the time. And I'm like, no, that's a horrible, horrible, horrible idea. And you clearly never worked in a restaurant. Um, It would be a horrible idea because, first of all, like everybody who worked there would just be like ready to 
tear their hair out after the second day. Like, that just sounds excruciatingly irritating. Um, and I love Princess Bride, but, like, just hearing the same sentences over and over again. If you've ever, like, been around somebody who can't stop quoting things, it would be like that. Today's special is inconceivable. Like, yeah, it would be... And the thing is, Princess Bride is, like, the opposite of that in the way because the world sketched in Princess Bride, especially the movie, is pretty thin. Like, there's not a lot of detail about that world. I think there's a little more in the book, but not a whole lot. Yeah. And It the, and clearly has parts of it in our world, but at the same well, time, definitely not in our world. Right, and what's delightful about Princess Bride are the characters and the plot and the dialogue, these things very yeah. specific to the story, whereas... The setting is meaningless. Right, whereas, like, you know, and I think for any of these blank punk things, you, you know, the idea is participation, and for participation you have to have world building, and you have to have a world that somebody could inhabit, and, yeah, so I think... If something, if any story is like, well, you have these one or two or even just a handful of really special people and nobody but these really special people are important or can do anything or be part of it, it can't be myth punk. It can't be any kind of... It can't be any kind of punk. It can't be any kind of punk because there's no avenue for participation. Which is why Percy Jackson is not myth punk. Yeah, Percy Jackson, which is funny. Because you have but, to be the son or daughter of a god. Right, which is funny because, you know, Percy Jackson is kind of what I pictured when I first heard the term myth punk just because I heard myth and instantly thought, like, Greek myths. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that, that the idea of, like, a world that people can be a part of, yeah, I feel like there's more we can talk about. I feel like this is good. There's so much more we could talk about because we're both major fantasy nerds. But uh, yeah, you wanted to talk about how Santa Claus was myth punk, didn't you? Did, no, not specifically. Although I just have this image in my head of like a kind of badass looking Santa Claus and like ripped up. You know what's you know what's myth punk? That with like what the Santa Claus starring Tim Allen. Is it myth? Okay, tell me. Tell me why the Santa Claus. Uh, well, it's Claus got is the intersection punk. between magic and technology, which you see in his new designed sleigh and Santa suit. And anybody can become the Santa Claus if they kill Santa Claus. <laughs> He's like the Dread Pirate Roberts. But, or if they somehow more make violent. It, yeah. Or if they somehow make it up to the North Pole and discover the elves. Fletcher, calm yourself. Huh. So, In fact, everybody gets introduced <coughs> to the reality of Santa Claus at the end when he has the police chase. Yeah. yeah. I just have these vague thoughts of, like, Christmas is magical and has pagan origins, and that ties into uh, myth punk. Because, like, well, there are a lot of uh, Christmas traditions. Should we talk about Christmas Carol? What about it? I don't... I don't know that that's no, myth punk. It's not, but no. they're Muppets, and I love them. Oh, you mean Muppet <laughs> Christmas Carol. I don't know. Yeah. I keep, like, thinking of things and then shooting it down in my own head and being like, no. Because I'm like, oh, Labyrinth. No. No. Not really, because it's like, okay, I guess, like, well, the idea of, like, goblins and fairies stealing like babies. I you travel to a magical world that kind of exits it out of the myth punk 
Hi, Fletcher. I mean, unless, of course, that magical world is part of a more larger, complex thing. Yeah, like, I think you're... Like, I think ideally, like, the ideal myth-punk story would be one where it's... Uh, where magic is like a commonplace part of the world that everybody participates in, which is what I was trying to do and kept failing. But that's, yeah, the idea that like you're in a world where everybody has access to magic and if you're smart enough, you can do cool stuff with it. Or at least access. I, I'd caveat that by saying access to the world, not necessarily to magic, because like one of the primary characters in. Dresden Files is jo- Gentleman Johnny Marcone, who is a mobs, you know, gangster who breaks into the magical world and actually becomes a powerful figure in it by get by finagling his way into the set of into having a title of Baron according to a set of rules that all the people in the magical world have to, uh, well, tend to obey. Hmm. Well, and he has no magical abilities, but he is so smart and able to leverage assets that he is able to uh, flourish in that world. Well, I think also, to me, maybe, like, if we're going to say Mythpunk is in the same category as Dieselpunk, Steampunk... If we're gonna, then we're gonna want to treat magic as technology, and if it's technology, it's something you don't have to be some kind of special sort of person to do it. Now there are aptitudes, like some people, like you know, some people are just naturally better at like coding than other people. Some people are more naturally drawn to it and have a brain that works more that way. But it's not like you know. Like, I I code for a living, but it's not like there's something in me genetically that, like, makes me able to, and that if you don't have that thing, then you, like, couldn't learn how to, you know, string an HTML document together. Um, So so I think, like, if we're going to treat magic as technology, then it's something that, like, yeah, it takes skill, and maybe some people have more aptitude than others, but it's not, you know, it's something that anybody could theoretically do if they worked hard enough at it Mm -hmm. you know yeah and i think maybe that's also like a difference between myth punk and fantasy is that if we're gonna say well here's the like in the magicians most of the hedge witches are really shitty at magic most of the hedge witches are really not good julie's good julie is good because she's really smart and she works really really hard yeah but even with the hedge witches there is a an innate ability to manipulate the forces of magic that they have to have to one degree or another i don't know i got the impression that like no it's definitely you either had the ability to or you did not to me that mm. was what i how From, i read it well yeah in the book yeah mm. i think um I think it's a little ambiguous, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think I like the idea of magic as technology because, particularly in this, because it's, 
it's not technology in the real world and that's part of what here's the th- okay so here's the thing about myth punk if i'm gonna like make a statement about myth punk in the real world magic is not technology it's you know there are people who have it as sort of a spiritual belief or practice but it's not technology in the way that like you know if i if i write a python command and i do it correctly it's gonna happen and it's gonna happen like i'm gonna look at it it's gonna be there guaranteed if i do everything correctly um magic in the real world is not like that and so to me myth punk is a world where magic is as as real as not 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 even real is not the right word but as like reliable i guess and as finicky and the finickiness is what's interesting to Mm. me because um because like in the magicians there are all these little finger tricks that are really really hard to do and you have to get it just right or in um well i was gonna say like one thing i think that bothered me about charmed and i didn't watch a lot of it but what i saw of charmed was like it looked so easy to do mm, like or like in Sabrina the Teenage Witch, like, like so many TV shows about magic, and even like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which I yeah I love Buffy, but a lot of the magic depicted, especially in the earlier episodes, just seemed like okay, you open this book and you like read out something that you've never seen before, and it'll happen, <laughs> right? And it just seemed so easy yeah. and well, sloppy and like. And I think that having it be, and having it be not, like, in the real world, people who practice magic, I think, mostly say, like, it's all about will and and intention and Mm -hmm. focusing your will and having it be, and having it be less spiritual and more finicky and picky about details is what would make it more technology-like and make it more myth-punk to me. Um, Well, in that case, and I honestly am trying to avoid going back to Dresden Files constantly, but to me it is the perfect example of myth-punk. And again, because of this technology thing, he has to be aware of the way of physics. Like, you know, if he's going to exert force on something, he has to have some way to kind of back that up he has like there's this one example where he gets where he is on a motorcycle with uh with karen with this character karen murphy and they are riding the car riding the motorcycle at a car full of bad guys who are gonna and there's nowhere for them to move her so he does kind of a jousting thing where he creates a wall of force in front of them uh to kind of flip the car up into the air but in order for that to work he has to get the momentum required to flip the car in the air, or otherwise they'd just be crushed and smashed aside because a motorcycle running into a car is going to lose. Right. Unless and it can somehow match the momentum. And then in addition, there are it there are rituals that regular people with no magical ability can do, and they can get magical effects as long as they do the ritual correctly. And there's even a character who later starts doing magic like a wi- that a wizard would have to do, and he has no magical ability, but he's able to do the formulas correctly and has the and has an assistant who can kind of give it a little jump start mm. and the magic will happen so a person with no magical ability is capable of doing magic the, the difference is between wizards and the regular people is wizards have that innate preacher national ability 
to actually perceive and manipulate magical forces. Mm-hmm. And you do, I mean, if we're going to compare it to technology, you have people who have a really outstanding ability, like, you know, much more than somebody like me who, like, can do it, but you have people who are, like, just, you know, it's, it's like, a native language to them to, to talk to machines. So I think... I can see that, and you know, and I love Dresden Files. I do yeah. think like it is a really, it's. I, I think it's a good example. I think the noir thing threw me off a little, but like, um, some uh, some of it is more noir than others. Like I think he kind of does some books as a noir theme, whereas others yeah. are less so. I mean, it always involves some investigation. But. Yeah, well, he's a PI, but I yeah. also think what's cool about. Dresden Files is it does lend itself in the way that Harry Potter lends itself to its fandom. Dresden Files lends itself to myth punk sort of play because you could be you you could absorb the rules of that world and build yourself something and say and like have a character in that kind of world and say like like I'm a wizard or I'm yeah. you know I'm I a could, fairy I'm I'm a you know I'm a member of the fairy court. I could dress up as a warden of the White Council, and it would be <coughs> recognizable because they have a uniform, right? Sort of. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Hmm. I feel like I have more questions than answers. I'm basically just trying to sell everybody on Dresden Files. Yeah, yeah everybody should read Dresden Files. Don't necessarily watch the show. Oh, the show is. It was it was produced by uh, Nick Cage. Nick Cage and everything that, and he destroys everything he loves. Oh, I did kind of like how they did Bob. Like I felt like a a talking glowy eyed skull would have looked weird on TV. I almost liked how they did Bob, but they just failed anyways. Yeah. That was, like, the one vaguely redeeming quality of the show. Like, he didn't even wear the Dresden's iconic black duster jacket. That's stupid. Do you want to talk... stupid detail to get wrong. Yeah. Do you want to talk a little about Fables? Because I actually... I feel like, okay, like, ten years ago I was dating somebody whose roommate had some Fables comics, and I, like, read part of one, and I don't remember. I I haven't finished the series. Kind of got sidetracked on that. But basically, it's that every fairy tale that has ever existed, every myth, every fairy tale, exists in in these other worlds that border ours. Uh, And there was a catastrophe where the, uh, this kind of dark overlord rose up and set out to conquer all the myth, all the fantasy, all the fable worlds. And so a group of the survivors got together and emigrated to New York where they established a society. And basically they are the story characters. Like you have Snow White, you have Beauty and the Beast, the Big Bad Wolf, Jack the Soldier, who is, you know, the various who is the uh anthropomorphization of all the Jacks and all the old folklores. And a cool feature of it is that uh, based on how many people believe, read and believe in the stories is how powerful they are, more or less. Like, you can kill them, but, like, in the case of Snow White, she gets shot in the head and survives because 
her story is so famous and still so well read, whereas some other character like uh So they work like the gods in American gods. Yeah. Basically. But some other character who is not so well known gets shot and is dead, gone. Right. Huh. Yeah. Um Well that sounds cool. Gosh. Yeah. But I wouldn't call that myth punky. Okay, it's not so just because you, you know, they have their own thing. They're their own thing. Yeah. They are their own thing. It's its, its own thing. Okay. Well, happy Hanukkah. <laughs> and Merry Christmas. All right. Bye. Bye.